Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Main Character Energy. Um, This week we have, actually, it's kind of a little bit of a a fun little family episode. And sorry if my voice is sounding um, a little raspy. I have been absolutely screaming my head off for the past two days at the Miss Maryland USA pageant, cheering on one of my absolute forever best friends, Callie Shade, who was one of my very first, she was my first teen um, for the Miss America organization. And she just won Miss Maryland USA. So I was just screaming my head off. I'm finally sitting down to record this intro and get the episode ready because this weekend's been crazy. So shout out Callie. I love you, babe. So proud of you. Can't wait to cheer you on at Miss USA. Anyway, back to this episode. So this episode is fun. Um, our guest this week is Laura Huffman, and we actually met her fraternal twin sister a couple weeks ago, Elizabeth Moser. Um, if you guys remember, Elizabeth came on and talked a little bit about her graduate research. Um, she's studying psychology, and we talked a little bit about um, you know the effects of clutter on the brain, stuff like that. And in that episode, I actually did very briefly mention her sister that had just had a child. Um, and you know, Laura and I got to talking, and she was interested in coming on the show to talk about some of the unique struggles that come with being a mom and, you know, going through pregnancy and doing all of that during a pandemic um, and also having a high-risk pregnancy. Um, And I think right now, you know, now more than ever, it is so important for us to be listening to moms and saving space for them and making sure that those stories are heard. Um, Because as I'm sure everyone's aware at this point, um, there is a possibility that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And that is terrifying. Um, And you'll hear today um, Laura talk about, you know, all of the struggles she went through with, you know, fighting for advocacy for her reproductive health, Um, some of like the unique experiences she had growing up and she was told she basically never be able to have kids and then, you know, ended up getting pregnant, but was told that it was a high risk pregnancy and she spent basically every week in the doctor's offices um, trying to stay as healthy as she could and, you know, give birth to this beautiful daughter daughter that she now has that actually just celebrated her first birthday a couple weeks ago. Um, So we we have a really good, really important conversation. um, And we talk a lot about what pregnancy and motherhood asks of the female body. And it, it, it it, it is something that is not for the faint of heart. I think any mom can attest to that. Being a mom is not easy. Giving birth is not easy. Being pregnant is not easy. Um, And I think it's something that each woman should have the choice to decide whether or not that's something they are ready to go through and put their body through, their brain through, their emotions through. It's a lot to take on. Um, And I'm, I'm just so appreciative that Laura was willing to come on the show this week and have these conversations with me and be so open and honest and vulnerable. And I, I just really appreciate her. Um, and I appreciate all of our moms that listen. Um, you guys are phenomenal. You literally, the world goes round because of you. None of us would be here without you. So thank you to all the moms. This is a little late Mother's Day episode. Um, but I do love you all very much. I love all of our listeners, but this one's for the moms. So before we get into it, we'll do what we always do. We'll start with our full body scan from the tip of the head to the toes all the way down. And we're going to take some deep cleansing breaths. We're going to breathe four seconds in, hold for seven, breathe eight seconds out. And you can do a couple more of those if you'd like, if you need another second to get grounded. I also do want to put a disclaimer in. Um, My best friend, Annie, that you all know pretty well at this point, is a runner and was listening to the podcast and the dedicated best friend that she is decided to 
take some deep breaths with us while she was listening to the episode. However, she happened to be running at the time, and she would like me to let you all know that uh, you should not be taking those deep breaths while you are exerting, you know, that much energy. If you are running on the treadmill or doing something super physical, focus on just breathing in general. You don't need to be doing all the deep breaths and stuff. Um, just like if you're driving. If you're driving, maybe maybe don't close your eyes, you know, just do what you can at the time and come back to it later. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into this episode. All right, Laura. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Are you ready to get started? Yes. Awesome. Okay, so we're going to start from the very beginning. Um, You and I have talked about it a little bit in preparation for this interview, but I don't know all the details and I know our listeners don't. Um, So how old were you when you started to experience, you know, health concerns regarding your reproductive system? And like, how did that affect you at that age? So I want to say it started probably when I was 12 or 13 years old. I was just getting these like god awful cramps, like to the point of like, I would turn like white as a sheet and pass out. And my mom took me to the hospital a few times. And it was just kind of crazy. But it was always brushed off as like, oh, she's just having like cramps. And she's just exaggerating her pain because she's like, you know, a preteen and all that stuff. But it kept happening. Um, And then, like, also, like, the bleeding was, like, really, really heavy, which also concerned my mom. And I think that also, like, made the, like, passing out worse and all that stuff. And so there was one day where I was at, like, I don't know, my third or fourth, like, gynecologist. And my mom looks at them and is like, she's not over-exaggerating. Do a fucking ultrasound. Like, do something. Go, mom. Yeah, at this point, no one had even, like, thought to, like, look. They just assumed that it was, like, you know, like, menstrual cramps, and I was just being, like, a big baby about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she, like, yelled at this doctor, and they were, like, okay, fine. And so, like, within, like, five minutes, they're, like, doing, like, an ultrasound on me. And I just remember, like, I don't know what I'm looking at when I look at an ultrasound, but I remember my mom being, like, what is that? That's not a uterus. What is that? Oh, no. And, like, the, like, tech's, like, not, like, allowed to say anything, you know. But then, like, yeah. when the doctor came into the room and talked to me and they're, like, oh, okay. Um, she actually has what's called a bicornuate uterus. So, my uterus is, like, separated in half. Like, there's a septum in the middle of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so, like, that can cause – it can cause a bunch of other health concerns. Like, most people with bicornuate uteruses only have one kidney. I somehow have two. So, like, I got lucky there. Um, But it just causes, like, all these different issues. And I remember the doctor was, like, when she was explaining it to me, she kind of said, she was, like, I really hope you don't plan on having, like, kids of your own. And I was, like, oh. you were 13 at the time? Like, what? Yeah, I was either 13 or just about to turn 14. But, yeah, and I just remember being, like, oh, God, like, this fucking sucks because my dream was to, like, be a mom. And so I had always kind of thought, like, and even, like, with family members, like, Elizabeth and I would joke, like, oh, I'm going to adopt a cute little baby, like, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it didn't affect me too bad like that, but it did cause like a lot of pain and then just a lot of time until we finally figured it out. So I was put on like all these different types of birth controls just to stop my period altogether for like 10 years. 
Wow. Yeah, 10 years or so. That's crazy. And I feel like, unfortunately, that was just like the answer for everything back then. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even totally realize it until I talked to Elizabeth and she was explaining her experience with endometriosis, which is crazy. Like, do you experience yeah. any of the endo side of things or is that more so her? No, that's just her. We got like the short end of the stick with our reproductive systems. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and I think it's interesting because you guys are fraternal twins. So I I don't know. I don't know what the science is there, but it's very intriguing. Um, But it wasn't until I talked to Elizabeth that I was like, you know what? I had the same issues. I was passing out from period pains and cramps and wouldn't go to school. And she was like, yeah, painful periods are not normal. Like, yeah, it's okay to have cramps. And like, that's not. But if you're passing out, if you can't do physical activity because your cramps are so bad, like there's something wrong. Yeah. And your body's not doing it right. Exactly. And like going to doctors and saying that, especially as a teenage, you know, young woman, they're very quick to be like, oh, you're fine. Get over it. Here's some naproxen. Right. You'll be fine. Or we can put you on birth control. And I've been on birth control now for eight eight or nine years, maybe almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Long time. Um, and it's been great because they don't have a period. Right. But at the same time, like, I'm sure this mm-hmm. isn't good for my body. Right. And it's it's definitely not. So I think I had probably, I was a senior in college, I think. And I like randomly started like bleeding like really heavily again while I was on birth control. And like my doctors oh, wow. were like, oh my gosh, I don't know why. And so they had me taking the pill, the depo shot and the Nuva ring all at once to try to oh. stop. Yeah. Right. To try to stop this bleeding. Fast forward nine months. I'm still on a period. It's lasted nine months. Um, you, you were bleeding for nine months straight? For nine months straight. And like, oh. I'm just going to give a shout out to Chris real quick because it was right when him and I started dating. So the first like oh. nine months of our relationship, I was on a period, which I'm sure was like, you know, a whole world of its own for him. Um, but yeah. And so finally, I was like, you know what? I'm not doing any of this birth control anymore. Fuck it. I'm not doing it. And I stopped all of it. And then within like a month, all of my bleeding stopped. Wow. Yeah. So I think the doctors were just kind of like pumping me full of all these things to try to get it to like normalize when in reality, I just needed to like let my body do what my body was trying to do. And then I have not been on birth control since. That's crazy. So how long after you stopped taking the birth control did you get pregnant? Um, I'm trying to think. So it's hard because I say Retta was not planned, but Chris says she was planned. (laughs) So <laughs> Chris we kind wanted of... her but you were just like going with the flow well it's funny because I was the one that wanted a baby like so badly but I was like yeah. you know told it would never really like happen yeah um and so like and even with my condition like you can get pregnant but it's more likely than not that you'll have a late-term miscarriage or oh. the baby will be born with some sort of like defect or deformity or something um and so like I just kind of like oh it won't happen and so, I mean, we had been, like, having, un- like, completely unprotected, like, not calendar, nothing, sex for, yeah. like, I don't know, four or five years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm trying to think. I had, like, I don't know. There would be days where, like, my period would be late. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, maybe I'm pregnant. So I always had, like, you know, tests laying around. And I would take mm-hmm. one. And there was one time I was, like, eight days late. And I was feeling real weird. And I took a test. And it was negative. But then the next month, I took one just for shits and giggles because I was going to, like, pull a little prank on Chris or whatever. And then mm-hmm. it came back positive, And I was like, oh, God, okay. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so crazy. Like, when we weren't even like thinking it was going to happen. But yeah. So Chris says she was planned. I said she wasn't, but it was like a four or five year gap. Wow. That's mm-hmm. crazy. So you find out you're pregnant and I'm assuming you, you know, you run and go tell Chris, like what, what happened from there? How did life change? Like, what did that, that pregnancy look like for you knowing that it was a high risk, you know, situation? Yeah. So I think, um, well, so I've always struggled with like anxiety. I think, you know, a lot of people do, and I've always had it pretty bad. Um, and so I knew that it would be kind of hard on me for that reason, but I also knew like, okay, I'm going to have to go see like a high risk pregnancy, like go to MFM specialists and stuff like that. Um, so we set up those appointments and like the beginning, like I want to say the first like 12 weeks of pregnancy was pretty hard for both me and Chris because like every single day, like if I would start like bleeding or cramping or like feeling something uncomfortable, we yeah. would think like, oh, this is a miscarriage. Like this is what's happening. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. And so it was like pretty upsetting and we had doctor's appointments like pretty much weekly um, and like sonograms, which... I don't know how much you know, but like pretty when you're pregnant, you only get like three sonograms, three or four. But mm-hmm. I got them like almost every week just because they were like, you know, they had to keep checking on her. Yeah. Um, checking on her and me because, you know, you can get pregnant and like hemorrhage from what I have and all this stuff. And so the first like 12 weeks were pretty nerve wracking. Um, I just had like the typical like morning sickness and whatever. I wasn't in like too much pain other than like a little bit more like cramping and bleeding than a normal pregnancy would have. But mm-hmm. then after that, it just got like really, really uncomfortable. And so like while my anxiety like subsided a little, then like it got like really uncomfortable and painful um, just mm-hmm. because she was in the right side of my uterus. And so like oh. it was actually really weird when I was pregnant, like my stomach was big and round, but the left side was empty. So you could like squish it in like a water balloon. Oh, that's so strange. <laughs> yeah. And then the right side was like hard as a rock because that's where she was. And so like, yeah. I don't know that like, of course, like fucked with like my physical, like my hips were off balance. My back yeah. was crooked, all that stuff. Um, but if I'm being totally honest, like I thought I was like mentally ready for a baby Um, Mm -hmm. but then I think having a baby made me realize like no one's actually ready. I don't think like, I think you just make yourself ready. Mm -hmm. Oh, and let me just like put in this little political plug right here. Having a baby has made me more pro-choice than ever. I love that. I love that. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. So I don't see, like, I don't think anyone should be in control of your body other than yourself. But I know after having a baby, like raising a kid and even like just having the kid, that's like the hardest thing anyone can probably ever do. And I don't see why we would have to force someone to like be in that mental state to do that. Like that's Uh, just, yeah, no, having a kid has made me more pro-choice than ever. Like, yeah, which I mean, there are lots of people that will go through the experience and feel completely different be like, you know, like it's just the most beautiful experience. And I think everyone should experience it, which is like great if they want to, if they Mm -hmm. want to experience it, they should be allowed to, but if they don't want to, then they should also be allowed to not do that. Right. Right. And yeah, it should be their choice. And you know, like I love my daughter more than life. And if given the option to go back and do that, I still wouldn't, but just, you know, experiencing it, I'm like, yeah, this is not for everyone. (laughs) Yeah. It definitely, 
it like I I can't even I can't even imagine one what you went through with like such a high risk pregnancy and doctor's appointments every week. But then like it's not like once she's born, things necessarily get easier. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know that, you know, you had an incredibly difficult birthing experience and there was lots that came after that. Um, Mm -hmm. Touch on on that at all, like how the birthing process actually like went for you and what you kind of decided to do afterwards. Yeah. So typically people with bicornuate uteruses um, need to get C-sections just because like the baby has a hard way of like going through the birth canal because they're not, it's not like a straight shot, you know, they kind of have to like wiggle around because they're only Mm -hmm. in the one half. Um, But I was like, you know what? No, like I don't want a C-section. The recovery for that sounds horrible. And so like the doctors were trying really hard to like get me, you know, to have a vaginal birth. Um, And we were able to do that. Um, I had to push for two and a half hours though, oh my which goodness. was like, that's like a really, really long time to push out a baby. Um, and I was like, you know, flopping from like, they'd have me on my back and then my side and then my other side and then my back and then like holding these bars. And like, they were like, you know, really trying to get this to happen for me, like as naturally as possible. Um, but then I ended up ripping and needing 33 stitches. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so that recovery... Like, the physical recovery was awful, of course. I still actually, a a year later, her birthday was, like, a week or two ago. A year later, I'm still in physical therapy for my vagina and pelvic floor because of that. Wow. Yeah. So That's crazy. Did you get an epidural or did you try to go the more natural route? Fuck no. Yeah, I got an epidural. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, because I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I can't imagine – tearing so significantly Mm-mm. that you need 33 stitches and feeling every inch of it like right oh my goodness nope couldn't do it. I, I felt it happen but I was so like I felt when it happened but it wasn't like I could feel the tearing I just felt that like I don't know it's hard to describe I could feel it tearing but it didn't hurt because of the epidural but I remember I looked at the doctor and I was like I just popped open and she goes yeah you did oh my gosh yeah, so I, like, felt it. But I know, like, a lot of women tear, but I didn't think yeah. I would tear, like, that bad. But I guess I should have expected it because I'm, like, a very small woman. I was about to say, you're so teeny tiny that, like, it makes sense. But, yeah. Like, like but, that's not enjoyable. Yeah, and then looking back, they always um, say, like, you know, six weeks after giving birth, you should be all healed down there. And now I'm like, you know what? Like, it's a year later, still not healed. And yeah. I should have opted for the C-section because I would be healed by now. Oh, man. That's so I know. Okay. So you, you tour, you got Mm -hmm. all your stitches, you headed home and I, you decided to keep working. Did you take any time off of work? So this was like a really tricky decision. I'm really sorry if you can hear Retta screaming in the background. Um, I don't know what Chris is doing. (laughs) Um, yeah, it's like, he'll be like, here, you go do something. I'll watch the baby for you. And then I just hear screaming nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's like a pretty tricky situation. So I work for a, a somewhat small design and marketing agency. There was only like, I think at the time, like between 15 and 20 of us. Um, I am essentially second in command at that company, though. So I have a lot of responsibilities. So I knew it would be kind of hard for me to take off like a lot of time Mm -hmm. um however I was I mean looking back I was just a fucking idiot right so and I talked to my sister about this all the time before I had Retta 
work was my life. I would go to work an hour early. I would stay an hour or two late. I would work on the weekends. And it's because I love my job. I love what I do. You know, I started there as a graphic designer and now I'm creative director, right? So I'm making cool shit all day. I'm helping other people make cool shit all day. And it's just like, I love it. Um, And I also just like, I don't mean to like glamorize the grind, but I I personally love that. Um, And so I in my head, I would still be able to do that with a baby, um, mm-hmm. which, like, I'm just such a fucking idiot. Um, and so I get home. Actually, no, I give birth, and then, like, five hours later, I'm working in the hospital on Stop my laptop. Laura, what? I know. And my, my employees were messaging me, and they're like, what are you doing? Like, put the, put the computer away. And I'm like, what? The baby's sleeping. I'm fine. Whatever. And at this point, I was like, oh, I'll be able to do this. Whatever. But then I get home and I don't know if you or anyone listening has heard of what's called the baby blues, Um, but it's not postpartum depression, but it's essentially when like your hormones, like they go from the highest they could possibly go to like dropping to like nothing when this baby comes out of you. Yeah. And so I got home and I'm like one of the people that got the baby blues. I think it's like 50-50 with who gets it, but I'm not sure. Um. But I got it and it was so bad. I would spend probably like hours a day just crying till I was throwing up, like just like severe mental breakdowns. And it was, I'm not someone who's like emotional or cries or anything, but I just like, I was so like, I don't even know. It was like, I wasn't even in in my body. I was just like randomly would just like a, a uh, switch would flip and I would just like break down you know people would come over and meet the baby big exciting things and then I would just be sobbing and shaking and like so upset and I remember like like telling Chris I was like well Chris why did I have this baby like if this is what my life is like I don't want it yeah and and that's not because like I wasn't like so in love with her or anything it was just because I think it was a mix of the hormones but also this huge life change Mm -hmm. that society expects moms it's better now but society expects moms to go back to normal after having a baby yeah and that's really not even reasonable and I know like you know people are like oh but newborns sleep a lot and it's like yeah they sleep a lot and you're pumping and putting like cream on your nipples and washing Mm -hmm. your vagina stitches and like all this stuff and it's just society is like oh they have a baby but after six weeks everything's fine but it's definitely not fine um, for, for most women. Some women I know have like, you know, blissful birthing experiences and they love when they get home and they don't have any of this. But the baby blues definitely like knocked me on my ass. And I had never felt anything like it. I thought I was just like being like a selfish, like crazy person. And I reached out to one of my friends and I was like, hey, I like really fucking hate this. I was like, I cry like 10, 15 times a day, wishing that I'd never had Retta, like all this stuff. And she was like, oh yeah, that's the baby blues. I had that too. And I'm like, oh, so like, this is normal. And she's like, yeah, give it like a few months. It's totally normal. And she was right. I don't have that anymore. So Uh, like, thank God. Um, But I didn't know about that. Of course, like they warn you about postpartum depression, but I definitely didn't know about like the baby blues, which is more of just like in a moment in time situation. Um, mm-hmm. If it lasts more than just like several weeks or up to a month, then like you're supposed to like seek like emergency help. Yeah. Um, but typically it does lead to postpartum depression and or anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of saw that coming. 
So the baby blues, how long did they, they last? Was it really only about that? Like, you know, maybe six weeks, month and a half type of situation. And like, did you do anything specific to try and pull yourself out of it? Or was it really just time that helped you get there? Um, I think for me, it was probably like four or five weeks. Um, it was a mix of, I think, I'm trying to think, I, I think time really, because I didn't, I did myself no favors. Like I didn't show myself any grace at all. I never, to answer your question, I never stopped working. No, I took maybe one or two days off. Um, I granted it wasn't like I was working eight hour days. I would do maybe like four hour days or a three hour day here and there, but there was only like one or two days that I didn't work. Um, but yeah, I think the baby blues, it was just a hor- like once my hormones balanced out. Oh, and also big mental health thing. My mental health significantly improved at week six because I stopped breastfeeding. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's interesting. Like huge. Like the weight of being the sole source of food for someone. Mm-hmm. And this is, uh, this is like a whole story in itself, but Retta has like a lot of health issues. And so she couldn't, she had like a lip and tongue tie, so she couldn't really latch very well. So it was oh, hard for her to eat. But then also she has really bad GERD. And at the time we didn't really know, but she had a milk intolerance. And so my breast milk and we would give her like regular baby formula and everything resulted in her like she would stop breathing sometimes. Oh and then God. this happened maybe like five times. And then the last time it happened we couldn't get her to breathe again. So I had to, <laughs> sorry, I'm getting emotional. Oh my God, Laura. So I had to call 911. Um, and they took us down to Johns Hopkins hospital and we spent like three or four days there and they figured it out. And it was just like her stomach couldn't handle it. Cause she had severe GERD, which is like acid reflux. Yeah. Um, and so the milk actually would like curdle in her stomach and then oh. her reflux would make it come up and it would get like stuck in her throat. Oh and so goodness. that's why she would stop breathing. And so I think also it was a mix of like the baby blues and then that happening when she was like two months old, kind of just like, I don't know. I feel like we were just in constant like doctor's visits and hospitals and like all this stuff. And it was just like a lot at the time. Um, But the, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's, that's, that's a ton. Like that is a lot. And on top of that, you're going through all of this midst a pandemic Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. How did, how did all of this happening during a pandemic when, you know, hospitals aren't functioning as normal and mm-hmm. like members can't really come in and see the baby like they normally would, like, how did all of that, you know, impact this experience for you? Yeah. So I'll start with like the positives of the pandemic. I loved that no one could visit us in the hospital when we had <laughs> Yeah. I loved that just because I think like, had I not had those like two days to just kind of like settle into my new normal in private I probably would have been even worse but as it like went on it was definitely more nerve-wracking you know like I made people who weren't vaccinated at the time wear masks when they saw her and mm-hmm. when we're, we were at you know the children's hospital down in Baltimore we couldn't have visitors or anything which was hard on my family and us um, but the one good thing of course because we had like a little two-month-old baby who wasn't breathing we got seen like immediately so we didn't have to wait in like the ridiculous lines uh- um but yeah it was it was definitely hard at Johns Hopkins not having visitors also because like 
because we called 911 and rode down there in an ambulance, we didn't have any of our stuff and we couldn't really have people bring us stuff. So Chris had to like leave and he actually went to Elizabeth and Eli's house because they live very close to Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. Um, And he like grabbed some of their clothes, which of course like Eli's clothes were too big for Chris and my sisters were too big for me. But (laughs) it was still, it was still enough. Um, But yeah, the pandemic definitely made it a little harder but I'd be lying if I said I wasn't glad about the no visitor policy at first (laughs) it probably simplified things just enough that it's like okay this is already a stressful situation but at least now I don't have to worry about you know five other people being involved like we can keep it kind of small and we can take care of it right now so I get that Mm -hmm. Uh, so I know we're still kind of in a pandemic. I don't think it's quite as bad as it was a couple years ago, but I've talked to lots of other new moms that have expressed this like concern about like the socialization of their child due to the fact that like, you know, people are still being really, really select in who they spend Mm -hmm. time with, stuff like that. And I know Retta is still young and she just turned one and happy late birthday, Retta. Uh, (laughs) But have you experienced any of that, you know, socialization struggle or do you feel like, you know, she's missing out on anything because her first year of life happened to be in the middle of like this crazy pandemic we all lived through? Right. So I definitely had that fear when I was pregnant. Um, But honestly, I don't really feel any any of those ways. And I think it's because like, well, one, I don't have like too many friends. I have like one main best friend, Shannon. Um, I have like a, a, a few other friends too. Like I'm really close with Allie Mori. Um, mm-hmm. But other than that, like. Two, right? Yeah. So actually okay. her mom watches Retta during the day while I'm at work. Oh. So Retta gets to play with her daughter. That's awesome. Um, and all that. So yeah, Retta actually has, she gets to socialize with three or four kids every single day, Good. which is nice. Um, but yeah, I know at at first it was, she definitely had less socialization, um, just because she was, you know, so young. And when she was really young, Shannon actually watched her while I went to work. Um, and so, yeah, but I don't know. She's actually, I mean, so like disclaimer, me, Chris and Retta all got COVID in December. So we kind of like got that over the way or out of the way. I know you can catch it again, but we did, you know, get that out of the way and like, I feel like we were much more careful before we got it. Yeah. And then we got it and we, you know, kind of eased up a little. Like we we were so strict about like always wearing masks in any store, anywhere, even if they don't require it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up getting COVID and then we kind of eased up a little bit um, since then and we haven't gotten it. But I think I am one of like the lucky ones that like she hasn't really missed out on too much because of this. And that's yeah. not really for lack of being careful because we've always been careful. But I think it's just the situations of like the people watching her while I'm at work. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're making the right decisions. Like you're, you're being smart about it, but you're also like, yeah, I mean, she's still going to live her life as am I like we, we yeah. still need to be done. And socialization for young children is part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's good that you have, you know, friends that have kids that are at least close to Retta's age. Um, Cause I know again, a lot of yeah. people talked to like, they might be some of the first people in their friend group to have kids. And they're like, I don't know. Like, I can't just drop my kid off at a daycare right now. Like that scares me. Right. Um, so it's good that you have, you know, other people you can lean on and other people that have friends that are kind of going through something similar. 
Um, right. And it was really convenient actually when we all had COVID because my coworker's wife had just had a baby and wow. they actually dropped off her breast milk for me to give Toretta when she was sick. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So that was actually like really helpful because breast milk in one drop of breast milk, there's like a hundred thousand antibodies just in one drop. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And so, yeah, they dropped off like a bunch of his wife's breast milk to give to Retta, which was like super, super selfless and awesome. So I think that probably also helped her get like less sick than me and Chris did. <laughs> wow. I was about to say when you said Retta had gotten it too, I was like, oh my gosh, with all of her like pre-existing health issues, I, I hope it didn't, you know, totally. She was really crap. lucky. Yeah, she wow. was lucky. She was fucking fine. She had like a runny nose and was just being a little annoying. <laughs> and Chris and I were like dying. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you all, you know, made it out and you're happy and healthy and everything's all good because that's definitely scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing that, you know, you've been through so much since you were 13 years old, like this has just been ongoing, lots of, you know, reproductive advocacy, I guess, for yourself. Um, what is like the biggest piece of advice you have for women, whether it's someone that's currently pregnant or just had a baby or someone that's just experiencing you know, some uncomfy situations with their reproductive systems? Like, do you have any advice? Yeah. So the big one, I guess, is for new moms who are like struggling with postpartum anxiety and depression, Um, just because like they're, they're crippling. There are days still where like, I'll look at Chris and I'm like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I, like I love Retta, but I don't, I'm done. Um, and so I think like, just like, listen to that and do what you need to do, you know, whether that be take a moment to yourself. Cause like being a mom's a full-time job, right? You come home from work and then you have more work. Yeah. And so take time for yourself and actually like do things that make you feel normal. And my mom always says like, Hey, Laura, go be Laura. Don't Mm -hmm. be mom, go be Laura. And I think that's a big thing. Cause I feel like when you become a mom, you make that your identity mm-hmm. um, instead of just part of who you are. And I know I was guilty of that. And I think that's partially why I struggled so much because I was so used to being like Laura, the friend and Laura, the yeah. worker. And I just became like mom. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think just like make sure that you don't lose who you are after having a baby. And if you do think that you have postpartum depression and anxiety, you probably do. And get help for it because it is like it's like next level you know I I was medicated for anxiety and depression when I was in high school and then this is like I don't know it's like a different type I guess because you know you're responsible for the human that like you got this from kind of yeah it's like a different weight to wear but yeah just seek help and listen to your mind and your body and don't lose sight of who you are I love that I think that's great advice and I I have to ask when you take those moments to like be Laura, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm still figuring that out because I don't really listen to that advice yet. I need to. <laughs> but like, for example, today, like Chris's mom is going to take Retta and I'm going to have like a couple friends over and just hang out. Oh, I um, so so that'll be nice. But yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. I need to find like a hobby that's just like a me thing because, you know, Chris has yeah. golf. That's like uh, his thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I need, maybe I'll do golf. Who fucking knows? Maybe. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with figuring it out because even what, you know, I've learned and I think lots of people are learning, especially during the pandemic, because we all had to find something to do with our time being mm-hmm. locked up and not leaving is like, 
sometimes you do something and you really enjoy it for a couple months and then you're like, all right, I need something else. Right. Um, nothing wrong with just like continuing to explore what else is out there and see what you like and just kind of figure it out along the way. But I love that you're at least putting that effort in and you're like, I'm going to do something for me. I think that's so important. Yeah, I need to figure something out. Um, and oh, one more thing. So I, I listen to your podcast sometimes on my way to work and I was listening to an episode where you and Taylor were talking about the book, um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Yeah. Um, and so I read that a couple years ago. I have an executive leadership coach that I work with through my job and he recommended it to me a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Life changing. So it I'm going to recommend another one to you. There's one called Let That Shit Go. Okay. Um, it's by a different, yeah, it's by a different author. It's by two women actually. Um, and that book also really helps like when I'm in the moment and I'm having like a depressive episode or an anxiety attack or something, I like read through that book a little bit and find like some of the examples that they say to do in there. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of them is just to like, kind of ground yourself. Like when you hear like negative thoughts or like your mind won't turn off, just kind of think about like what you're doing right so right now it's like I'm on the phone talking to Shay wearing fuzzy socks standing Mm -hmm. in my office like just like ground yourself so that your thoughts can't creep in like that because your mind is preoccupied with very like trivial things I love yeah I let that shit go yeah I'll send you a link after this but yeah so that's like an amazing book and I use that exercise all the time I love that. I'm always looking for like new resources. And like, I I feel like for a while, it was all very like clinical and like kind of stuffy and like hard to relate to. And I love that we have books now that like literally like let that shit go. Like, okay, I'll listen to that. That's something I want to read because that just feels like something that I would relate to. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. Yeah. And I've, yeah. Okay, good. Because I've been like holding back. I say like fucking shit all over the place. Oh my God. Um, no. Love that. Yeah. Elizabeth- it's same thing actually before we started her interview she was like am I allowed to cuss I was like girl say whatever you want There's oh my gosh here I don't care what you say Chris's dad's always like are you in the navy and I'm like oh my god shut up Tom <laughs> <laughs> but it's um let that shit go find peace of, peace of mind and happiness in your everyday and it's by Nina Purewall and Kate Petru um I'll send you a link but yeah that book and the subtle art of not giving a fuck just books that have you one like figure out what you care about and those are the things you give shits about and then also just like when you are freaking out and manic to like ground yourself and just let it go those are the best I love that I will definitely be checking that out and putting it on my Amazon list because I'm gonna be traveling here soon and I need a book to read on the plane oh that's it's such an easy read it's perfect oh perfect I love that Well, thank you so much, Laura. This has been a blast and we talked about a lot and I so appreciate you being so open and honest and talking about stuff that is, is really hard to talk about. Um, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I'm so excited that you're a new mom. I'm glad that everybody's happy and healthy and that you're starting to, you know, adjust to this new normal. Um, and you know, if you ever need anything, I'm always here. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no problem. And hopefully we'll have you back. I know we, we're going to have a season three and Elizabeth's going to come back and talk a little bit more about some of her research in school. So I, I'd love to, you know, touch base with you in about a year or so and see how things have progressed for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I feel like it, I always tell new moms, like it only gets better. So yeah, it'll, yeah. it'll be so much better. <laughs> You're on the up and up. Things are getting better. I love that. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a fun day with your girlfriends and we'll talk soon. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye.